You're listening to another inspiring teaching from Devonport Church of Christ, Tasmania, Australia. For more information about our church, please log on to www.devonportcoc.com.au. Good morning, everybody. Now, today I have a bit of an awkward task, considering the room, of talking about navigating adolescence. Um, So this sermon, just so you know, is predominantly for teens, but everybody in the room can be affected. I'm hoping that everybody in the room knows a teen, their parents to a teen, their grandparents to the teen, their teachers to a teen, they're an adult in a teen's life. And I'm hoping that from the message today, you can be reminded what it's like to be a teen and you can uh, recognise the struggle and how to encourage and support our teenagers as they navigate the teenage years. I want to start with something today that's a little bit probably odd, but it's called the Dunning-Kruger effect. Now, if you can't see it very clearly, I am going to walk over there in a moment. The Dunning-Kruger effect is a cognitive bias that describes the phenomenon in which individuals with limited knowledge or expertise in a particular area tend to overestimate their abilities in the area. In other words, people who are incompetent or inexperienced in a specific domain often believe that they are more skilled or more knowledgeable than they actually are. You can see from the graph As they find out about something, so you start here, you find out about something, you might read a book, you might listen to one podcast, you might go to a a two-day PD session, and suddenly you are an expert. And then you can see, as your knowledge increases, your confidence actually decreases, and if you can't read it from the back there, the second one there says, hmm, there's more to this than I thought. And then down here, as you find out more, I'm never going to understand this. And then you start to become a true expert and you gain more confidence. Can you see yourself on that scale somewhere? Many adults that I talk to that are my age actually are down the bottom of the curve and at the moment they feel like they're imposters in their industry. They're just waiting to be found out about their lack of knowledge by somebody else, while other people, younger people, or people like myself, we read a book or we listen to a podcast and we believe we are experts. This graph, this um, effect, holds true for both adults and teenagers. The unfortunate thing for teenagers is that everything is new. New school, new friends, new knowledge, new classes, new experience. And this is one of the biggest reasons that adults look down on teenagers. It's because teenagers think they know stuff about stuff. You would have heard the saying, uh, 16 going on 30, or they can't be told, they think they're the experts. This helps to explain that fact. So how do we fight it? We don't. We need to become aware of this fact and we need to treat teenagers with the same grace that we would want to be treated with. 
If there was a young person in the room today, I would tell them to look at the scale and be aware of the fact and be very careful to not declare yourself as an expert or the carrier of all knowledge. Today we're going to look at the character Daniel from the Bible. Now in the Bible, Daniel, uh, the age is not stipulated for when he was taken into captivity. However, we do know he was a young man. Throughout the book of uh, Daniel, we see him progressing through careers and serving under various kings. So it's indicative that he was probably a teenager or a very young adult at the beginning of the story when he was taken into captivity. King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon conquered Jerusalem and took captive several young Israelites, including Daniel, into captivity. Daniel was chosen for his looks, his wisdom, and his potential. So as a captive, Daniel found himself in a completely different cultural and religious setting. Babylon was known for its grandeur and its opulence, completely different language, custom, and beliefs compared to what David had been used to. Daniel, keep going to say David, sorry. Daniel was used to in Jerusalem. The Babylonians worshipped their own gods and had different traditions and practices from the Israelites. This is very much how a teenager feels, captive. In a completely new culture, a foreigner in their own world because everything is a constant struggle and everything is new. They're wrestling between being a child and an adult. Head versus hormones, being their own person and belonging, growing bodies, developing minds. They've had new friends and new influences versus the old family upbringing and their old friends. The need to know what do you want to be when you grow up and not really even knowing who they are now. Being told they're a responsible young adult but being put under the pressure of mandatory education experiences and expectations. And the list goes on and on for a teenager. It is tiring. Sometimes I uh, hear adults say, wow, I wish I could go back and be a teenager. No mortgage, no bills, no adult responsibilities. Let me tell you, being a teenager, especially in this decade, it's actually really hard. It's tiring. Not enough sleep, growing bodies, developing minds, sport, school, school assignments, sport, work, sport, keeping up appearances. You can probably tell my boys play on at least a lot of sport. Um, Teenagers are tired. When a teenager sleeps until 11am on a Saturday morning, it's probably not that they're lazy. They probably just need to sleep. So I work with teenagers daily, and I have for years. And the biggest issue that teenagers and young people need to understand is that they are all foreigners. No one is normal. Everybody has a desire to belong. And teenagers, especially the ones that look like they've got it all together, They are actually the ones that do not believe this themselves. They are asking, are my friends really my friends? 
Do I fit in? Is what I'm wearing acceptable? These questions are huge, they're all-encompassing, and they're exacerbated by the 24-hour access to social media and the ruthless targeting of advertising. Young people, if you were here today, I would tell you that nobody is normal. Everybody is asking that question. Everybody feels like a foreigner. It feels like everybody has been given the map with the Google pin on it, and you don't even have your phone on you. So is there a solution for our teens that feel like foreigners, that feel like they're different to everyone else? No and yes. No, because it's just part of growing up. In my experience, year seven, eight, and about half of grade nine are super tough because the very nature of being a teenager is the need for time and experience to shape the person, to become a person with a, a unique identity. Parents and teachers and adults and youth leaders, we don't want to take this struggle away. It is identity forming and character building. It's a chance for our young people to learn, to fail, to make mistakes, and to feel all the feelings. But it's really, really hard to watch and not to step into. We have to learn how to support without taking the struggle away. The yes part of the solution to no one is normal is sometimes just awareness. When you tell a teenager, Everyone's feeling like this. It gives them a bit of self-assuredness. It makes them feel normal because nobody feels normal. But most teenagers don't know that. They think it's just them. And the other answer to becoming a foreigner, to coping with being a foreigner, is to know your identity in Christ. To know that your identity doesn't come from how your friends treat you or think about you but that you are uniquely, purposefully, and individually made from the one and only creator. That they are enough, and it's okay not to know all the answers. So we're gonna go back to Daniel. The second thing about Daniel and teenagers is that he has courage and he takes risks. There's three instances in the book of Daniel that I could find where Daniel took risks. First, Daniel refused to eat the king's food. Taking the risk of defying the royal orders, he asked permission to eat a vegetarian diet. The second one, Daniel interprets King Nebuchadnezzar's dream, a task that nobody else in the kingdom could accomplish. Despite the negative consequences, potentially death, Daniel boldly confronts the king with the interpretation. And the third one, Daniel risked his life by openly praying to God three times a day, despite King Darius issuing a decree forbidding it. Daniel continues to pray, displaying his unwavering devotion to God, even though severe punishment looms. In these three instances, Daniel's courage shines through as he takes risks. And I'm sure everyone here would say that those risks were worth taking. Yet now let's shift our focus to teenagers 
who are often characterised by their inclination to take risks. Unfortunately, teenagers are known for reckless driving, drug experimentation, engaging in high-risk activities and deaths. Recent research challenges the notion that the developing teenage brain makes them incapable of making good decisions about risk. It's actually not seen to be true anymore. Scientists actually believe that there's a part of our brain called the ventral striatum, an area of the brain that's actually responsible for coding reward. So how much reward a person gets from an experience. And this is way more active in an adolescent's brain than a child's or an adult's. So it's not that teenagers can't see risks. It's not that teenagers can't regulate their behaviour. It's that the allure of a particular behaviour and its reward often outweighs what we would see as common sense. I think back to Daniel and I wonder if I was Daniel's mother, would I have advised him to keep his mouth shut and just eat meat? Would I have told him to keep his head down and to not tell the king that he might be able to interpret his dream? Would I have told him to pray in bed rather than pray at the window? Probably. But people, I want you to encourage young people to take good risks. There's a saying in teenage land, YOLA, you only lived once. It doesn't have to mean, so therefore, do reckless things. You can see by my topic, be bold but not stupid. It means take courage, take opportunities, even when you feel unprepared, standing up for someone, uh, participating actively in class, trying a new sport, admitting when you've made mistakes. For young people, it's about exploring different states, different cities, different countries, engaging in mission trips, and living by the motto, you only live once, make it count, rather than you only live once, let's take a dangerous risk. Adults in the room, push the teenagers you know out of their comfort zones. Just a little. For some teenagers, honestly, that is making them make their own dentist appointment. That is making them go into a shop and order something. While for other teenagers, it's making them complete their own passport and visa documentation or attending a social event that they're not sure if they're going to be accepted at. Encourage them to take risks and be there for them when it doesn't pan out. Something that I know that older people struggle with, and I know Blake and I have struggled with this in our household, is that young people want to take risks with their faith. It is okay for young people to doubt and to question. To have rigorous and uncomfortable discussions can actually be a form of worship. It's an integral part to having a sincere and individual personal relationship with the Lord is for a young person to have worked through and questioned their beliefs and their theology. This can be extremely difficult for parents, teachers and mentors as you face the fear of the child doubting and questioning 
the faith you have brought them up in. And wow, if my house is anything to go by, the conversations are increasingly difficult. This year we've had questions about religious tolerance versus conviction. We've had discussions about being able to see sin in a world that doesn't acknowledge individualism as sin. We've had questions around gender, around sexuality, and the list, unfortunately, is getting longer and longer. I spoke to an expert in children's faith development, and she suggested four key points for us all, students, young people, and adults, how we actually should approach when a student is taking risks and questioning their faith. There's just four simple questions, and they're pretty uh, common sense, but let's just go through them. Number one is get the student or the young person to clarify their point. I think you've all probably seen the ad, the commercial, where the young boy in the back seat says, Dad, where do babies come from? And Dad goes into this huge explanation and biology lesson, and the kid's sitting there stunned because they really only wanted to know this much about the question. Don't do that to your young person. Actually clarify the question, and the simple phrase of, tell me more about what you mean, often helps with this. Before you give your opinion, ask the young person first, what do they think? Often they have a really good understanding of the topic, more than we give them credit for, but they're just not sure if it's acceptable what their opinion is. This one's really hard. Delight in the conversation. Don't get so defensive that you just want to tell them what your answer is. Actually delight that a young person has bothered to stop and question you and your beliefs. Try not to close doors. Try to delight in the fact that they want to sit on the lounge or it's usually the kitchen bench at 11 p.m. at night and have these discussions with you. And then determine together how you will find the answers together and be a bit open to looking seriously about their perspective of things. Also be okay with you may not be able to answer the question. Just on that, I'm just going to go off script for a second. There's a new bit of research that's come out in the last, it's probably not new, 20 years, that talks about how we actually do conversions with young people. I grew up in a time, and most of you grew up in a time where um, we had the two ways to live, the two paths or the bridge. Those kind of um, formats for conversion only came up since the printing press was printing newspapers where we could suddenly print tracts. Now, there's nothing wrong at all with leading someone to Christ like that. It's been effective for millions and millions of people. Uh, But the new research says that we live in a very individual world where the mantra for our young people, Christian kids included, is that if I, I can do what I want as long as I'm not harming somebody else. Now, as mature Christians, we know that that is not God's perspective. But our kids are growing up in a world where that is the mantra that they hear from absolutely everything. So the new research says that actually telling a child that they are a sinner as your first step in conversion 
is not nearly as effective as actually saying to a child, what part of your life is actually letting you down? And you don't have to scrape the surface very far to find loneliness, depression, and anxiety. You can approach conversion through what is your life not giving you now because I know the saviour that can give you that. Rather than the first thing you present them with is you're a sinner. I'm definitely not saying that we don't need to repent. Please don't mishear me. I am not saying that we don't tell teenagers that they are sinners. But I would like to just challenge people on the way they do it because it's not the same as it was 20 and 30 years ago. It is way different now. And there is various approaches to talking to young people about their faith. Anyhow, I'll go back to script. Okay. Uh, and my third thing that I find myself discussing regularly is the importance of finding your tribe and wisdoms for expert, from experts. During the Easter holidays, I found myself in a rather unusual situation of spending my time uh, while spending time with family in Melbourne. Jonas, who is my 20-year-old, and Ruby, who's 18, decided to get tattoos. I can't say this was something I dreamed about as their mother, but regardless, there I was. Ruby was really clear that she wanted the birth year of herself, her grandmother, and me tattooed on her arm, while Jonas was getting a tattoo featuring a solar system mixed with a video game logo on his forearm. I had tried to talk Jonas out of it, but my words had fallen on deaf ears. However, when the young man, the young tattoo artist, candidly remarked, honestly, I don't think this design will age well, mate. You should probably think about it. Jonas left the store still with hundreds of dollars in his pocket. Young people, I urge them to seek advice, ask questions, and get different perspectives. We find the valuable lesson in the story of Daniel about the people he surrounded himself with. We learn in Daniel 2 verse 17 that once Daniel had found out about the king, that nobody could interpret his dreams, Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hanayam, Mishael and Azariah. These friends, whose Hebrew names reflect their commitment to the God of Israel, prayed with Daniel, they prayed for him, and the wisdom that Daniel might get to interpret the king's dream. These three men, who we know more widely known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, later refused to bow down to false gods and were thrown into the furnace for their defiance. These men, Daniel's friends, possessed the same conviction, character, common experiences, and unwavering support for their friends. It is vital that young people find these people in their lives. This can be family, but it can also be friends. Older people, be in a relationship with young people, not necessarily telling them what to do, just being there. I work with so many young people and it's incredible when I ask the question, who do they most admire? You think it's going to be a superstar. You think it's going to be a Taylor Swift or a sporting star, but overwhelmingly 
It's not a superstar, it's their grandparent. It actually gives me chills and I am stunned every time at the amount of kids that talk about their grandparents as being the person they admire most. So grandparents, great aunts, great uncles, parents, teachers, be there for your children, be there for the teenagers in your life. A lot of our teenagers don't have anybody. Be there, find a teenager and pray for them and be there available. I just want to finish my message by saying, guys, be gracious. Be gracious to our teens. They are fighting a hard struggle. Be available, be prayerful. Today's world is the not the same world as it used to be. The pressure is greater. The consequences of bad judgments are way more visible. Be a teenager's biggest advocate. Show them understanding because you have no idea the impact you can make.